0: Welcome to the Guide Post, Tony. Here, um, want to remind everyone if you got any questions or comments, and you might have some because uh, on this episode, because we have we have a really awesome one lined up for y'all. Uh, just send them into comments at saltwaterguidesassociation.org. and if we read them online, you'll get yourself a brand new pair of Costa Del Mar sunglasses because because uh, they're an awesome sponsor of ours and sponsor the podcast. So today. You know, one of the things that we have done that has gotten the most positive response uh, is our work on uh, Little Tony false albacore, whatever you want to call them. And none of that would be possible without our friends and colleagues at the New England Aquarium. So I have Jeff Kneebone and Ed Kim, who are uh, the dynamic duo that helps us with research, deploying the tags, everything. And we are here, drum roll please, to talk about the results of the telemetry work. Uh, We just got the download for the last six months and we wanna know how many of these things pinged and where they pinged and when they pinged. And and we got the two guys on this podcast that can tell us all that. So Ed and Jeff, how are y'all doing? Doing good, how are you, Tony? Uh, you know, dude, I'm, I'm still here, man. Jeff, how about you?
1: (laughs) I'm doing good. It's, it's just sweet to be able to come back and talk about this. I know we started with the first podcast, we talked about what we were going to do and we were like, is this going to work? And what we just keep finding, uh, as we get more and more information is that it it works and it works really well. So Ed's going to tell you a little bit about what What we've, well, the most latest thing we found and how much uh, this project has really blown up. So happy to be here.
0: Don't ever doubt that the good Lord is on my side because there's no other way to explain my life. Like there's just, there's no, there's, there was like, I gave this like a 20% chance. I thought every single one of these things was going to die. I thought sharks were going to eat them. Every bit of anxiety that I have over this stuff and the data just just keeps coming back and it just keeps getting better and better. So Ed, what the heck happened? What did we learn? How cool is this as a a scientist at the New England Aquarium?
2: Yeah, so I guess I'll just get right into the thick of it. Um, As a reminder, everyone, last fall, we tagged 63 false albacore and we detected 57 of those just within our own array in Nantucket Sound. But then once they left our array, we're like, where did these guys go? Um, and so before I give you the results, um, I should explain that there's a system all up and down the East coast of the United States called MATOS, which stands for the Mid-Atlantic Telemetry Observation System. But basically these guys, um, this organization has participating scientists with acoustic arrays, just like ours, monitoring their own species with their own tags. Um, but when other scientists' tags go into their arrays, you know, they don't know what those tags are, who they belong to. And so collectively, this organization allows us to communicate with each other and share information that we otherwise would have had at other times of the year and in other regions throughout um, the East Coast. And so a big thank you to 10, 10 or 11 of the organizations that have agreed to let us use data that they collected from our fish species. And likewise, I'm sure at some point in the in the future and also in the past, we've shared information with them. So. It's just one big uh, group effort on our part and their part, and we'd like to thank them for that. But going into the results of this, um, again, we tagged 63, detected 57 just within our own array. And when they left, we detected 59 total. So we picked up two additional tags. If we're looking at outside of Nantucket Sound, we detected 34 of those Albies. So In the northeast, this ranges anywhere from Rhode Island to Long Island Sound to offshore southern New England, you know, traditionally where those tuna fleets are working, like, way offshore of land. But then also, we detected 23 total in both North Carolina and Florida. So 21 in North Carolina. And then further south, like, all the way in the Florida Keys, which is kind of nuts to me, we detected five there. And then, actually, we detected three in both North Carolina and the Florida Keys. So kind of documenting that travel, that travel path from New England all the way down to North Carolina, all the way down to the Florida Keys.
0: Woo. Lord of mercy, yes. man. That was, that was a lot, a lot, lot of information. Of- <laughs> Woo. So um, one of the things that we kind of talked about when we had our, our little Zoom call to, to well, I, one of the things that jumped out at me was the, the short time frame that these things were in North Carolina and popped up in the Keys. It was like, what well, I may be wrong. I mean, 26, 27 days. It was under 30 days, right?
2: Yeah, so they can take their time. Like, I think I document upward of like 100 plus days for some of the albies, but the fastest one to make it from North Carolina all the way down to the Florida Keys was 23 days. And then on the flip side of that too, I think another fish, this one wasn't across all fish, but one specific fish I saw from New England going down to North Carolina was thirty days, so they can move. And just for a comparison to the readers, the distance, like straight line and kind of curving around the tip to get to the Florida Keys from North Carolina to the Florida Keys is around eight hundred miles. So an average of thirty-five miles a day. And That's notwithstanding what these—that's uh, straight line distance. That's notwithstanding if these albies decide to go, you know, chase a school of fish here and go east or a little bit west. So it's quite a distance for them to cover
0: well i think i think the other thing ed and jeff you know jeff we we talked about this at length when we first started this this process the thing that jumps out at me is like you know alby's bleed man i mean they good gravy you you just put a hook in their face just one hook and the, it looks like a murder scene on your boat so i was pretty I was like, Oh Lord, you know, what are we going to get like a 55% release mortality or something? Cause that was part of the science we were trying to do. I think it's safe to say the three of us are all collectively pretty stunned at how tough these things are. I mean, would y'all agree? Or I, I was, I was shocked.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we went to great lengths to, uh, make sure that they were pampered during the tagging process with our makeshift tuna tube that, um, we were worried and they, they definitely are hardy. Uh, I think Ed said we heard from 59 out of 63. That's, I mean, well over 90% survival, which is really, really great. And uh, extensive movements showing that the fish are, are kind of thriving, doing well. So one of the things that we want to do this year and what Ed's can talk about a little bit more is trying to button up that survival thing. So last year, uh, people might remember we used both external and internal tags. So the external tag is just basically like a really fancy spaghetti tag where you just pop pop a dart into the back of the fish and the tag is on the outside, the acoustic tag, and it, you just throw it over and it swims away, and the tag is out there in the wide open space. But uh, we did a lot of internal tagging where we did surgery and I had to really put the tag inside the fish. Um, which obviously stresses the fish out a little bit more. You'd think um, going under the knife and um, we, it increases the handling time. Right. So it kind of biases the survival data a little bit because we're doing things that don't usually happen when typically guys catch and release albies. So it's um, going to try to put out a few more external tags this year to kind of get a better feel of what happens in reality when you're catching and releasing a fish, you know, it takes 20 seconds to externally tag a fish and it takes three to five minutes to to do surgery and put a tag inside it. So that's one thing we're doing But Ed. Why don't you mention a little bit more about um, the acceleration data we're hoping to collect. Um, Tony said something about worried about uh, the sharks getting albies or something, but how are we going to test that? Talk about that a little bit, if you can.
2: If you guys remember that GIF we made last year um, of those albies bouncing all around the sound, we're pretty sure that the albies um, that we tagged are surviving. You know, these are tuna; they move fast, they move around a lot. And even if we didn't know that before, it's kind of what we suspected. And based on that GIF, you know, we think that most of these are albies that are in fact surviving. But um, in order to validate that. Uh, we're going to deploy 20 of what's known as accelerometers. So they're the same acoustic transmitters that we've been deploying. Um, these are going to be rigged externally, but in addition to pinging off the receivers, they're also going to be able to transmit um, what's known as tailbeat frequency. So basically how fast that tail beats. And if you've ever fought a false albacore or seen, seen them move in the water, they kind of do what I like to call the, the tuna shake where they vibrate that tail back and forth really rapidly. If you held them, your whole body is kind of shaking when you're taking a picture and they happen to do that. But that's going to be characterized very differently, say from something like a shark where the tailbeat frequency is, you know, not going to be that rapid vibrating. Um, and so based on that, we can tell whether or not that this is most likely an albie that's um, been tagged and surviving, or if it's been eaten by a shark and this movement and acceleration data is more characteristic
0: of a shark's movements. well man we're I'm a high-tech redneck now. Look at that. Look at all this stuff I got going on. Um you know, so I was albies are like you know, I guess it's I guess it's cuz we don't obviously scientifically we're we don't know a lot about them and that's why that's why we partnered with y'all so we could learn more but um you know uh you never know if it's going to be a good alby season or not. Right. I mean, you never do really. Like one year can be great. And the next year, you're like, where the heck are they? And and I I started getting texts last week that were like, the Albies are here. The Albies are here. And I, I was just like, oh, Lord, just let them stay until October. Right. Cause we got it. We got like 90 something tags to get. Ed, how many, how many tags were y'all thinking of deploying this year? I know it's a substantial increase from from the 63 last year
2: we got 97 so 50 of those are internals same as last year and then 40 of those are externals uh 27 of those are going to be regular externals so they have the same function as the internals they just ping and then a uh, 20 of those um are the accelerometers so 47 total externals so last year so we had, a had 63 lot tags, a lot man. more
0: yep. i mean that's you know almost 100 that we have to deploy in like good gravy. Could you imagine if it was a lousy Albie season? Um, I just, you know, I was talking to, uh, you know, one of our sponsors, Hogan, and he, I guess, you know, Mike Hogan of Hoagie Lures, and he picked up the phone, he, p- he picked up the phone while he was fishing. And I was like, hey, okay, well, I'm going to start the text thread and, you know, we'll start coordinating with the New England Aquarium guys. And all I heard was, hey, Tony, got to go. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be all about, hey, hit the motor. I got to go. Bye. And I was like, well, they're here. You know, I was like, that's the best hang up I've ever gotten in my life because, you know, he was, he was sitting there on his contender and and boom, bang, bing, there they were. Um, so, you know, one of the, one of the things that I, I, this project is not over with and we're, we're getting some pressure, like share the data, share the data. And you're like, well, you you. We'll share what we know, you know, in the in the upcoming weeks, but it's not like we can come to any conclusions because the project is ongoing. And I certainly not gonna put any pressure on the scientists that we're working with. You know, science is a process. I don't I still am going into this year you know, with guarded optimism, because last year was so successful, but you never know what you're going to find out. So if any of the listeners, you know, like, what Ed and Jeff are telling us are are not conclusions. It's an update of what's going on. And the more that we know, the more that we can share. But it's not we're not going to be like one of these organizations, one of these associations that gets like two tags back and is like, the stripers are all offshore. Right? Yeah, that was that was a little bit of a jab. Um, But that's not that's not who we are. Like, this is what I know, like, it went better than it should have gone last year. than we thought it was gonna go, we hope that it goes better this year. And we found out all this cool stuff. And we want to share but you know, we're a ways away from, you know, publishing anything that is definitive or, you know, we got, we got a ways to go. And that's, that's science. And you got to be a little bit patient, but I'll tell you what, I mean, I don't know if y'all are going to agree with me or not. I figure, I think that we learned a lot more than we thought we were going to learn in the last year. And and y'all are, I think y'all are more encouraged by the project than maybe when you started. Is that, is that a fair assessment?
1: Yeah it's test testified by going with a hundred tags <laughs> you know we we only picked that like i said to you and i checked in and was like we're gonna go big this year um it was because we had the confidence uh to do so after what we learned and we just tried to round out our sample sizes for our survival study so hopefully at the end of this season you know ed will have some data and we can put together some more concrete conclusions on what it's the true survival rate um, you know, in the regular hook and line fishery. Uh, we're gonna stick to uh just for like spin casting, you know, epoxies and things like that, because uh we want to do it for like one gear type. So that that study should should get wrapped up if we can get all 60 our t- uh, tags out or however many we have to do uh this fall. And then we have our acoustic array in Nantucket Sound out right now so we're listening for any of the albies from last year if they come back the battery life so those tags we put out last august through september is just short of a year so maybe some of these first albies that are showing up now might still have batteries that uh and and the active tags i guess so we're hoping that we can see a few of our fish uh come back And then, you know, that's going to tell us a lot about the residency of the fish and like the annual migratory patterns. It's like, are we seeing the same fish in Massachusetts year after year? And then as we go forward in time, as we start, you know, we've got 60 fish out now. If we are successful in getting a 100 out this year, we'll have like 160 animals out there in the population that are tagged and, you know, if we're getting, we're seeing 50% of them get detected by receivers elsewhere, you know, we had 30 this year. If we tag 100 fish this year, say we get 40 or 50 more, now we're starting to build that sample size up to 50, 75 fish looking at coastal migrations. then you can start looking, uh, are trying to answer more questions about population structure. You know, is it really one stock to drive with your genetics preliminary data? So things are going to start coming together um, a lot more quickly now, like in the next year or so, we'll be able to button up some things uh, that we can control, like the survival part. And then looking at residency and movements in Antarctic Sound. And as we talked about in our previous meeting, like the longer term, the, the horizon is this bigger migration bit. Because uh, as Ed said, it's a collaborative process. You know, we're waiting for data to come back from other researchers who work from Florida to Massachusetts, and you know, everyone's on a different schedule. They're downloading their acoustic receivers at a different time. They're uploading data. Things just take time to to come to fruition and come to together. But we're starting to put all the pieces together, and it's it's gonna be really really cool. Another thing we did just to. T- uh, Circle up here is we decided to use tags that are active for more than one year now. So I just said before, you know, they were a little short of a year. So if we get returns from last year's fish, it's probably we're probably only be able to see that maybe now, like late mid to late August, and then the tags are, the battery life's going to die. Well, we this year we decided to use tags that have more than a year, like a, I don't know, thirteen or fourteen months. So we'll be able to get that full year of tracking and get a better idea of uh, if the fish are coming back. But of course, that means we got to listen for them again next summer. So it's just a process, you know, you're working with the fish migration. So it's just, it takes time, but we're, we're headed in a great direction.
0: So you would, um, again, when we had our, when we had our zoom not too long ago and we were talking about all of this stuff, um, you had mentioned, you know, a lot of a lot of ifs, ands and buts in all of this. You know, again, there's nothing definitive. But let's say that this year goes really well and kind of see the same stuff. You you thought that there may be um, you know a, a good valid scientific reason to maybe run down to North Carolina and do do some of this work. Or, or just you know, maybe, maybe in some place in Florida where where we all and, and kind of reverse engineer it, um, you know, in twenty twenty four. So, just for the audience, Jeff or Ed, could you you know, from a scientific perspective, could you explain why that would you know make the data more robust if we if we went to a different region and and did the same kind of work? I think people probably be super interested in to learn about that.
1: Yeah, I can take that, Ed. So one of the con- you know, the conversations with some of your guides, for, we were talking about the timing. Like, hey, when do you see albies? When are you catching them? What size fish are you catching? And just things that came out of that conversation. Like there's, there's times when the guys in North Carolina are catching albies at the same time as people in Massachusetts. So the question is, okay... Is that a different group of fish is that a different size of fish you know are they even though they're in mass in north carolina say in october you know are they all going to the same place in march and april um does their migration line up are they only separated there because of something like size so you just get more more questions that you can ask so that's why you try to tag in different places you know we don't want to just tagging and, and then tuck it sound and say, Hey, this is, this is all that we need to know about Albies. We can learn right here to really do do good science and learn about, you know, fish at the population structure. You really got to spread out your tagging effort. So it just makes sense to kind of just follow that mold. Um, you know, so we started up here, we learned how to do it. You know, we ironed out some kinks. We learned what works, we learned what doesn't. And then you just take the show on the road and you pick different places where, you know, you have the highest probability of learning things, and you know, from our data, North Carolina and, and Florida just seem to—they jumped out right away, um, at least in, in the information that we've gotten so far. And we'll see if that holds true. But you know, it definitely seems like the next logical step is to to move beyond New England, maybe, and and try to look to see how. The albacore po- false albacore population like, all comes together. Like, Is it really just one big coastal stock and they're all mixing and like, the smaller fish are doing this and the bigger fish are doing that?
2: Those are the questions that we can ask now that we've paved the way. Yeah, to add on to that too, I mean, just a couple of days ago, I handed off some acoustic tags to external ones to Caroline Kletos, um, a tagger who's going to be with us on a bunch of trips and we're, uh, works with us very closely. She tagged five albies and said that they were some of the largest albies that she had seen here, um, along with Jogo, who's going to be a guide going out with us
0: on some of these fall trips. Oh, I got um, a, I got a picture. There was one that was like thirty at the fork.
2: Yeah, Jogo is a large man. Well, I was going to say Jogo, look at this looked, albie- <laughs> Jogo
0: looked normal holding the fish, and I was yeah. like, "That's a big damn albie, right?" Because yeah. Jogo like. He looks like a goddamn Greek statue. Like that 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 boy is some corn fed Brazilian. He's a big boy. Right. And yeah. that, that albie looked normal. Um, so usually they they look like a I don't even know what, a chub mackerel when he holds them. He's he's so damn big. And and that looked like a good size albie. And I was like, holy geez. Like the, the biggest one, just so you just to get y'all like all fired up, we still have to name it. We were we were coming up with a name, but one of our Florida guys tagged a thirty-six at the fork Albi or thirty-five and a half. That's the biggest one. It, it was a horse, um, but that's you know that's a little bit more common in Florida. Thirty-inch is a giant, right? I mean, y'all normally it's like what seven to ten pounds is probably average for y'all. So that's a big fish.
2: Yeah, last year we I think the average is around. Two foot so that 22 to 24 inch range we had a large one that was 27 inches i think and not very many of those we had a couple in the 26 to 27 inch range um but also i mean i've only ever i've only been here for one fall up in new england i joined the new england aquarium uh, last may and so i don't really know what this false albacore fishery was like but don't the do the big ones tend to run early in the season tony
0: I think that's what I might have heard now see, I'm not a New England guy at all oh. so like I'm more I would know more about the North Carolina fishery um my guides in New England certainly certainly could answer that question for you but i i mean i I don't have nearly the experience um that a ton of our members have i like, and i couldn't I wouldn't even feel right answering that question maybe jeff jeff can
1: i I think in our meeting will from uh, from ASGA was saying that the the big the early season albies are the biggest ones, and literally right at this second, I just got a text from a friend, potential Rhode Island state record nineteen point five six pound alby off Block Island, um, and Ed and I actually were offshore yellowfin fishing, or bluefin yellowfin fishing for some another project, and we go we got into some pretty big, like uh, close to thirty inch albies offshore weeks ago so they're definitely coming in it seems like there's some big boys around this
0: year jeff since you brought that up you know we'll we'll finish up the podcast on albies but you know why don't you tell people like some of the other work that y'all are doing that's compelling i mean i know you you know you don't just do albies you do a ton of stuff um so you know this here here's a time like hop up on the pulpit and tell other people what you're doing because i'm sure Look, with the response that we've gotten from the work that we're doing, there is a million people that wanna help us with tagging and any science. And it's just really, it's inspiring for me to see. So maybe if y'all talk about some of the other stuff that you're doing and you ever need like a volunteer or something like that, you know, this is a good place to talk about it. Uh, Cause our, our, our people wanna help, so.
1: Yeah, no, thanks for that we got a lot of things going on and take forever to talk about them all. but I'll talk about the big ones. So we're doing a lot of work trying to look at the potential effect of offshore wind development on pelagic fishes. So this, this albies are like not a target in that project, but you know, we'll, we will get some data from them, but we're talking like bluefin, yellowfin, yellow fin, makos, blue sharks, um, other species of sharks, Uh, Basically, we're using the same exact tag technology, acoustic telemetry, as we are with the Albies. It's the same thing. The tags are just a little bit bigger because we're putting them in bigger fish. Uh, We have the same acoustic receivers, but they're all offshore um, in the wind energy area in southern New England. And the idea for the project is to just monitor species by species to figure out, where they are um, before construction happens and then to try to monitor any displacements or changes to their behavior, or residency, or movements in response to offshore wind activities. So we've been doing this project uh, since 2020. So this is what our fourth year Uh, every year it's grown a little bit. Um, we now have, I think we have like almost 80 acoustic receivers spread across all of the offshore wind lease areas in southern New England. I think we're up to 250 fish tagged. I think we've done like, I don't know, a lot of bluefin, maybe 50 or 60 bluefin, 50 makos, 50 elephants. So we've, we've really got built that, that nice sample size and, it's the kind of the same timeline as this Albi project, you know, we started, we know a little bit about what the fish do in our region. And now we're starting to get individual tunas and sharks coming back to the region year after year, because the tags have in our case, up to seven year battery life. So we're really, we're starting to paint a picture of what, what it looks like for these fish in new England. I mean, it's a no brainer that they're, there's bluefins and there's makos here every year, like that's well known. But now we're kind of boiling it down even to individual fish. Like the same tunas are coming back each year, and what places are they, where are they uh, spending their time in southern New England, and hopefully down the road we'll be able to tr- use that information to see if there's any effects of offshore wind. Um, it's like you said before, it's it's something that it's a work in progress. It's going to take a lot of manpower, a lot of time, a lot of energy to figure that out. Uh, but that's the ultimate goal, and um, that's what brought Ed to the aquarium. Um, I brought him on to work on that project, and uh, we've kind of just through our great partnership with you with Sga we've put him on another project. But that's what occupies a lot of our time. We've done I don't know how many trips this year. I think we've tagged eighty two fish um and for people who like science and people who like to fish it's like a really good way to spend your summer
0: heck yeah man it sounds like it like let's go tuna fishing let's we'll pop a pop a tag in one and then we get to we get to follow them around the ocean like that's shoot man I'm, i am I might have if i knew that if i'd known that that was a possibility i might have spent a little bit more time paying attention in school um you know, my job description is like fight with people, Um, so you know, like that sounds—that's sounds, how fish and and follow them around the ocean, right? I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty cool stuff. So the last question I'll ask you, because again, I you know, I know my members are probably like totally interested, a hundred percent interested in the work that y'all are doing with the pelagic stuff, but you've done some pretty cool, you've done some pretty cool work on on bottom species too, that I'm sure like the average person targets the heck out of so i think i don't want to speak out of turn but i think y'all did a little bit on uh on blackfish on tautog and then maybe some black sea bass too if i may be wrong on that
1: no nope.
0: you're doing you're doing the kind of same stuff it's not just like it's not just like the super sexy you know bluefin yellowfin all, all that kind of stuff so it's basically y'all doing basically the same work i, I mean i got a lot a, a tog like my experience with them is like, I own this rock, stay away. So are you finding any cool stuff out about tog that you didn't think you you would?
1: Uh, well, tog are the best fish to start out with, at least in my opinion. They're my favorite, probably always will be. Uh, yeah, we're, we're doing the same thing with togs and sea bass. So with offshore wind, you're putting in a lot of structure, and these are structure-oriented fish, so we want to know what w- – how how they're using the area before there's this extra structure and then how they're using it after there's this extra structure so that's that's kind of the study design and um, all the technology goes together so we can put a tiny tag in a tog and a big tag and a bluefin, and the data are this that are generated is the exact same so it's a really good multi-species monitoring platform but yeah, with the togs and the sea bass, we only have a little bit of data from last winter. Uh, it was kind of a, a little bit of the same as the Albi project. Like, wait, let's do this and see what we get. And we we got data, like a lot of the sea bass we tagged. We saw offshore during the winter, the same with the tog. The togs for just like you'd expect. Um, there's a lot of residency around specific areas. Uh, but not unlike the Alvey project, it's a work in progress. I, we got 30 more tags to do like this, uh, December. And that'll bring us to our, uh, our first batch of 50. And that's really when we're going to take a hard look after next winter and see, uh, what's there. But we tagged the fish last December to see one, what they, what the residency offshore was like during the winter. And then number two, we want to know if we can follow them, uh, the migration inshore. Do they migrate inshore or do the fish stay offshore? That's a huge question for both togs and sea bass. And uh, we haven't yet downloaded the receivers to get that information. So we're waiting just like we did with the albies. We are waiting until we can go and download our receivers next. And then we'll immediately, at least I'll go immediately and look at to see if I see any togs there. But you know, it's just like we, you said before, it's a waiting game. It takes time and we kind of get information and it batches. And then we take a look at that batch and then we use that to make some uh, conclusions if we can. If not, we're going to use it to pl- make our next plot, our next move. But yeah, that's, I'm looking forward to that. Tagging a tog was like one of the coolest things I've ever done in my career. It's just because for whatever reason, they're, they're my favorite fish but i was like
0: no, super look, hey, straight up like i think they're man they, they live a long time and they are i mean that is a that kind of like a wise old fish right um I, I, I i'm all about like whatever bites you know there's no uh, it doesn't have to be the coolest fish in the world like i, I bring it up all the time And man, i went i went Sheep's head fishing in Louisiana. And let me tell you something. Same deal, right? 20 inch sheep's head, 20 years old. And they don't get that. They don't get that way being stupid. And you try to sight fish those things and throw a fly at them. And if you can get one to eat, you are doing something. And, you know, some some people, you know, it's either, oh, they're so easy to catch on bait or whatever. Well, maybe. Not easy to do it the way that we did it, and I think one of the most fascinating things I talked to Jenkins, our Peter Jenkins, our our chairman with Saltwater Edge, and he will tell you without a doubt the the latest explosion of tech, technology junkies fishing near shore, inshore, tog fishermen. It went from kind of like you know drop a crab down there and something will eat to like use this low profile bait caster on this specific rod with this tog jig exactly this they 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 specialized in it way more than he had you know kind of anticipated years ago but there's a lot of really dedicated good fishermen that love targeting big tog because they are and they're throwing them back too they understand the biology of the fish and they will not they will not kill one of those giant, you know, teen and up tog because they get it. And like, kudos to that whole community. They're doing it voluntarily for the most part. I mean, I know states have put in some regulations and that's fantastic, but that was driven by angler, private wreck anglers and it's a portion of the charter boat community that understood the value of these giant old fish yep. from the tog community. It's great. It's fantastic. We could learn a lot.
1: Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's a good place for like people to plug in. I know that there's a, a, I've been on boats for some of those crazy tog fishermen. uh, I can call them that because I myself am one. uh, Have to buy tags from like, uh, and they put them on fish, but like, that's a a good species to plug in more with and, and uh, do some like citizen science tagging and just help the cause. Cause there's, like you said, there's a lot more effort, um, being put at togs, but, uh, a lot of it's good catch and release and responsible, but there's a lot more effort. So I feel like in the coming years, there might be a little bit more keen of an eye on tog management. We've already seen that, like you said, with the States, but I know they're I'm pretty, at, they're
0: pretty tough, right? Yeah, they're yeah pretty I tough. mean, as far as like, you know, release mortality, I, I always, you know, we look at redfish and stripers and I'm, Man, if I if I could have one wish, I, I wish a striper was as tough as a redfish. And I do, you know, they use, I think, five percent mortality for for redfish. And that I I'm not I'm not disputing that, but I I I have caught redfish that have their tail bitten off and just scarred over or like have a like a stingray barb in their head. Nope. And you're like, good lord. Like, you know, like you, just feel, yeah. you just feel them when you catch them, you knock Ooh. on their head, sounds like a coconut. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, they're just, they're, it's a different fish and and you kind of like look at tog, you know, I, I would, I would, I would venture to guess, you know, a lot, a lot tougher than like a summer flounder. That's another bottom species That's just, you know. They're they're tough old birds. A uh, lot of lot of respect from Tog for Tog over here. So I can't tell you how much you know we've appreciated having y'all on. Um, I know they'll we're we're taping this a little bit ahead of time, but New England Aquarium is gonna uh, by the time this by the time this publishes, New England Aquarium will have published a blog. So everyone, if you're listening to this, run over there, um, take a look, you know, Ed uh, Ed did a great job on the blog. It's got tons of awesome graphics and really can answer a lot of questions that you may have. And then when we publish this, we'll have, you know, kind of our own information about it. And you'll probably see a lot of stuff on social media with Ed and, and his crew and all, all out there tagging and, and trying to get these 97 tags deployed. And the last thought that I'll leave everyone with is please just be a little patient, right? We, I tried to tried to put an exclamation point on that. We aren't trying to hide anything. We're actually trying to be honest about the science that's being produced. So just just exercise a little bit of patience. We're doing this work. We're trying to do the right thing by Albies, um, not not hiding anything. As you know, as soon as we get clearance to share whatever we can share, I promise you it'll be up the next day. We're super grateful that everyone's so excited about this, and we get to work with you know a top-notch team like the New England Aquarium. Oh, you know what? Before I close out, listen, y'all have to do me a favor, okay? And this is I'm not even I'm not even remotely kidding sue wants to pet a penguin and y'all have met sue and sue writes the checks so and sue also i don't want to get on i've i've avoided getting on sue's bad side for about four and a half years um and all i can say is at some point we're going to organize something because i looked on y'all's website the other day and you have a colony of 50 penguins and you cannot hide that from me (laughs) and sue sue wants to pet a penguin And I think I'm looking at two guys that can make that happen. So please help me make Sue happy. And let's just make a firm commitment here that at some point in the future, Sue can pet a penguin at the New England Aquarium. Can I get a firm commitment on that?
1: I can firmly commit that we will do what we can to try to make it happen. I, I'm not. That's all I can super- ask
0: for from a scientist, <laughs> Jeff. That's all I can ask. That's, that's, that's like, as far as I'm concerned, that's the golden ticket from Willy Wonka. Um, you know, that's that's about all you can get from these scientists, folks. So, but you know, I, I have a certain way of exerting pressure. So I just, I, I know I'm going to get a selfie of Sue with some little penguin sitting on her shoulder uh, or doing something that's safe for the penguin, uh, but makes Sue happy. So um, so listen, y'all, uh, all kidding aside, I can't tell you how, uh, how appreciative we are of the work that y'all do because it means a heck of a lot to our guides and the private recreational community that we're learning about these albies with the hopes in one day of getting enough science to where there's at least minimal guardrail management so we can make sure that these fish are around for everyone who enjoys to catch them, um, you know way into the future so thank all of y'all so much can't tell you how much we appreciate it and i look forward to having y'all on here again